today on Divine Truth Podcast. If your attitude stinks, your actions will stink. If your attitudes are ungodly, your actions will be ungodly. If your attitudes are worldly, your actions will be worldly. If your attitudes are of the flesh, then your actions will be of the flesh. Attitude determines actions. Outlook determines outcome without fail every time. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter number 2, and after you have found that, I have respect for God's Word. If you would please stand. Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The apostle says, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask You now, God, that You would reveal to us Your truth, We pray that you would permeate our hearts with the relevance of your word today. Change us by it. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. There is great truth uh, in this statement that says, Outlook determines outcome. And that attitude determines action. The Christian's focus has a large part to play in how the believer acts. And the church, since it's made up of believers, is no different. If the church is not bold, if that's not its attitude, then she will find herself vacillating or changing on truth. If the church is not beneficial, if that's not her attitude then the church will find herself without love. She'll find herself without love in in the midst of a world that so very desperately needs to see the love of God. If the church is not blended, if that's not her attitude, then she will find herself with a sort of an isolationist attitude and she will not see the benefit of the partnership that comes through the church, which is the body of Christ. If the church is not benevolent, if that's her attitude, then she will find herself that within the church that there's no deep-seated concern for others or other of God's people and there's no desire to work to meet those people's needs. Because folks, listen, attitude certainly does determine action. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 48, But and if that evil servant shall say in his what? Heart. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart in proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 for as he thinketh in his heart so is he and the point is is that the seat folks of all of our actions are the attitudes of our heart in first peter chapter 1 and verse 13 peter says this wherefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is, be, that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when the Apostle Peter says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, 
Church, listen. He means put your thoughts together. Have your attitude right. Because only when our attitudes, church, are right, will our actions be right. Because, church, listen, it all goes back to a mindset. We should have, as Christians, a disciplined mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and get this phrase, and bring into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. Church, listen, the disciplined mind is when our minds are captive or literally controlled by the obedience of Christ. In other words, our minds should be that they are brought into captivity to truth, which is what, church? The Word of God. Our minds should be disciplined, and our minds, therefore, are brought into captivity and are controlled by God's truth. Because our minds, which is the deep seat of our emotions, determines our attitude, which determines our actions. If your attitude stinks, your actions will stink. If your attitudes are ungodly, your actions will be ungodly. If your attitudes are worldly, your actions will be worldly. If your attitudes are of the flesh, then your actions will be of the flesh. Attitude determines actions. Outlook determines outcome without fail every time. That is why, church, that our attitudes must be captive to and controlled by the Word of God. And so we must have, church, disciplined minds. We must also have sober minds. And when I say sober, I'm not talking about not being drunk with wine. When I'm talking about sober, I mean we need to have minds that are calm. We need to have minds that are steadied. We need to have minds that think. Listen, you know that God's people need to be people that know how to think. God's people need to be people that know how to reason. Because all of our actions, all of your actions, all of my actions stem from the mind. And therefore, we need to make sure that our minds don't get carried away. What's the first thing that wants to take place in your life when trouble happens, when turmoil happens? The first thing that all of us are tempted to do is let our minds get carried away with us and think the absolute worst. But God's Word said our minds should be sober. Our minds should be balanced. Our minds should be calm. And we need to look at everything through the lens of the Word of God. Our sober minds must be balanced. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore... What's Peter saying? Just calm down. Calm down. When turmoil happens, when trouble happens, calm down. When gas gets to be $5 a gallon... When gas gets to be $6 a gallon, what does Peter say do? Calm down. Calm down. That's not my words. Those are the words of Peter. Not about, he said, well, he's not talking about gas there, preaching. Yeah, no, he's talking about everything in life. Calm down. Who's in charge? Who's sovereign? Who never says oops? So calm down. Calm down. Because listen, the chaotic mind of the Christian is going to go off and do something that's silly. The chaotic mind of a Christian is going to do something as go off and not trust. So calm down. Calm down. P Peter was talking not about gas. You know what Peter was talking to a group of people about? A group of people that were being told that Jesus Christ had already come back and forgot about them. Peter says, calm down. Calm down. Because Satan, church, is on the prowl, isn't he? And because Satan is on the prowl, that's another reason that you and I need to have balanced minds. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be what? Be calm. Be calm. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. What is the obvious meaning that what Peter is saying? Listen, if our minds are not calm, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be devoured by the enemy. He can't take away our salvation, but he can certainly take away our peace. 
He can certainly take away our rest. He can certainly take away our trust. He can certainly take away our faith in God. So Peter says, calm down. Fight. Be vigilant. Be careful. But take a breath. That's not yoga. I'm not telling anybody to get in tune with their inner person. Listen, you don't want to get in tune with your inner person. I don't care how pretty your mat is. You don't want to get in tune with your inner person because your inner person is ugly. And no Christian, by the way, has, needs to have anything to do with getting in tune with their inner self. What you need to be in tune with is getting in tune with God. Because only getting in tune with God will you be calm. Be calm. The mind is the place where attitudes begin. And so we must have disciplined and sober minds. And since Paul has explained the attitudes of a joyful church back in verse 1, he now wants to teach us how those attitudes reveal themselves in the actions of life. And in doing that, he will show us three different headings this morning. The joyful church is believing. The joyful church is behaving. And number three, the joyful church is base. We saw last time together, we saw the attitudes of the joyful church. And we saw that the joyful church is bold. The joyful church is beneficial. The joyful church is blended. And the joyful church is benevolent. And now number two, we want to look at the actions of a joyful church. That's why this sermon's subtitle is Attitude in Action. Because what your attitude is, folks, is how you will act. Paul, having identified and instructed the church of Philippi, the believers there, what the joyful church is, he now turns around and he now wants to put emphasis on what the joyful church does. Because we understand the fact that we will always come out, our attitudes will always come out in what we do. Whether they are things, church, pertaining to righteousness or they are things pertaining to flesh and sin, our attitudes always dictate our actions. What we are is what we do. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And then Luke echoes that in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For a good tree bringeth forth not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And the point is that if the attitudes of the church are right, then the proper actions will follow. And so Paul comes down here when we get to verse 2, and he says, okay, here are the proper attitudes, verse 1. Here are the proper attitudes of the joyful church. Boldness, beneficial, blended, benevolent. And if those are your attitudes, then these actions in verses 2 through 4 will follow. But I want you to notice what Paul says at the beginning of verse 2 of our text. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, fulfill ye my joy. Stop right there. The word fulfill is plerano, and it means to bring to a completion that which, that which has already begun. So when did Paul's joy begin? Paul's joy is described in a plethora of ways all the way back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul experienced joy at just the fact of knowing the Philippian believers. In chapter 1, verse 4, he experienced joy in the privilege of praying for them. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, he experienced the joy of their partnership in the ministry. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he experienced the joy of knowing that whatever God started in his life and their life, that he would bring it and would complete it in their life. In chapter 1, verse 7, Paul again goes back to the joy of just knowing them. And in chapter 1, verse 12, he brought about the joy of knowing that all of his afflictions that he suffered was going to further the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 13, he brought about the joy of knowing that because of his imprisonment, Christ is being known throughout all of the palace. And in chapter 1, verse 14, he brought about the joy of knowing that because of his imprisonment, that caused others to be more bold and speak for Christ. And the list just could go on and on and on of the things that Paul claimed was the beginning of his joy to the church of Philippi. 
And so Paul, who was really a pastor at heart, tells them that these actions that he's about to give them would take the joy that had already started and would complete that joy. And that's why he says, complete my joy. Fulfill means to complete. Fulfill my joy. How? Number one. How do you fulfill joy? Number one, or letter A, a the joyful church is believing. The joyful church is believing. Look at verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Look what Paul says. That. Stop right there. It's going to be slow today, folks. It's a very simple word. It's a, but it's an important word. It's a very instructive, what we call in grammar, a conjunction of result. And what it means is that it gives us the result of the main verbal element. And what is the main verbal element? First part of verse 2, fulfill ye my joy. That is the main verbal element of verses 2 through 4. How? That. Or by, it could be translated. How? Verse 2, look at that again. Be ye like-minded. And so when I say, church, that the joyful church is believing, and that brings completeness of joy, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about the belief in the things of Christ, in the belief that the faith and the belief that brings repentance and faith. Because that's already a given reality. Since no non-Christian could ever experience true Christ-given joy. It's already a reality assumed that you're saved. So that's not what we're talking about. But the believing here, and the believing that brings fullness or completeness of joy is, listen folks, when people in the church believe with the same mind. They are, Paul says here in verse 2, they are like-minded. And the phrase like-minded is, is prorano or proreno in the Greek. And it literally means to think the same way. Because thinking right, folks, is, essential, is the essential part of joy in the Christian life. There is no way that there will ever be joy in the church if everyone is thinking about different things. Out of the 26 times that this Greek word is used in the New Testament, seven of those times are here in the book of Philippians. And one of the key passages that will shed some light on this hopefully for you is how it's used in the next section of verses that we're going to consider in, in the next coming weeks, in verses 5 through 8, a beautiful section on the self-emptying of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what Paul says in verse 5. Let this, what? Mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the word mind there in verse 5 is the Greek word proreno, which is the same word back here in verse 2. And it says, listen church, you need to think the same way that Jesus thought. You need to have the same attitudes that Jesus has. Here is what brings, Paul says, here is what brings my joy to completeness. Here is what will fulfill your joy in your life. It is when you think the way Christ thought. When you and I think the way Jesus thought, then that brings completeness of joy in your life. And as it brings completeness of joy in your life, it will bring completeness of joy in this church's life because you are the church. Think like Jesus thought. And he's not talking about doctrine here. What he means is that you are actively striving to achieve a common understanding and a genuine agreement. And the most consistent way, folks, for the church to be a joyful church is by thinking the same way just like Christ. How is it that Christ thought? How is it that we should think like Christ? By having the mind of Christ, right? How do we have the mind of Christ? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And the word mind there is pereno, the same Greek word in verse 1, the same Greek word in verse 2. And so what Paul is saying, you and I have the ability to think the way Jesus thought. You and I have that ability. We have been granted as believers Access to the mind of Christ by the Word of God taught to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. You want to know the mind of Christ? It's right here, folks. 
I told you last week, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. You want to know the mind of Christ? It's contained in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will teach it to you. And as you think like Christ, you'll have joy. You say, well, how will thinking like Christ, Pastor, help me to have joy? Because if you think like Christ, you'll look at everything that goes on in your life from the perspective of God. And if you look at things that goes on in your life from the perspective of God, it'll change the way you look at those events. And as you change the way you look at those events, you'll change your perspective on those events. And you'll fulfill what James says in James chapter 1, verse 2, to consider it all joy when you fall into those things. Because you look at them from the perspective of God. You know, our problem is, is that we look at life from the perspective of ourselves and what makes us comfortable and what makes us happy. But that's not thinking with the mind of Christ. And Paul says, be ye like-minded. Think like Christ. And as each believer seeks out the mind of Christ by the agency of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, boy, that's just, that's a beautiful church. That's a beautiful church when that goes on. We all have the same goals because they'll be Christ-honoring goals. Therefore, all the church will have joy because it'll be a believing church. And this is, an, this is a, really a recurring theme of Paul. You know, because he said at least seven times he uses the same Greek word and this concept. And Paul encourages the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, or he's not talking about sinless perfection, he's talking about maturity in Christ. Let us therefore, as many as be mature, be thus what? Thinking like Christ is a sign of a mature mind. Not thinking like Christ is a sign of an immature mind. And he shows them the results of people who do not think the same way with the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who what? Who think or mind the things of the world. And then later he gives this practical advice in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what? Think on these things. As you think on these things, you think with the mind of Christ. Paul gives this added insight to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do what? Mind or think about the things of the flesh. But they that are of the Spirit, the same, the same uh, actions are there. They think about the things of the Spirit. And what we need to keep in mind is that when conflict happens in a church, it comes, that conflict comes, always comes, when Christians in that church are thinking the wrong way. When conflict happens in a church, it always happens when Christians are thinking more about what pleases them than what pleases Christ. It always brings conflict. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your affection or set your mind, where church? On things above, not on things on the earth. This kind of unified believing, the ability to think together in unity because we're thinking with the mind of Christ is a gift of God. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, now the God of peace and consolation Grant to you to be like-minded. Boy, it's a gift of God when people in the church can think the same way. Boy, that's a gift. And I will tell you this, folks, that's a gift that many, many churches don't have. Listen, I'm not, it doesn't mean, folks, that you agree with everything that comes out of my mouth. That's not what that means. But what it means is that you and I have common goals. And that one common goal is to do what? Glorify God. And if we will have the one common goal to glorify God, that will take care of so much of the other problems that take place when people are involved with each other. Be like-minded. And so we see the joyful church 
is a believing church. Number two, the joyful church is not only a believing church, but the joyful church is a behaving church. And I have to remind Mrs. Agner, because we're live, that she needs to behave herself about every Sunday. But that's not the behaving that I'm talking about. The fundamental, the fundamental attitude of thinking the same way with the mind of Christ, it will reveal itself in the behavior of Christians. Look at verse 2 again. What does Paul say? Fulfill my joy, complete my joy. How? By this. You think like Christ thought. You think together the way Christ thought. You have the mind of Christ. How else? Having the same love. Stop right there. Being of the same love, folks, flows out of being of the same mind. If we all think like Jesus thought, we're not going to have any problems loving each other. When Christians don't love each other, it's because those Christians, either one or all of them, are not thinking with the mind of Christ. They're thinking with the mind of the flesh. To have the same love is what Paul calls for in verse 2. To have the same love means that we love others equally. Now church, listen to me. This is greater than a far emotional level. Because it would be impossible for everybody to love everyone the same on a purely emotional basis because not everybody has the same level of attraction. So it would be absolutely impossible to do that. The word love there is a Greek word agape. And what Paul is talking about here in verse 2 is that this is the love of the will. It is, not, it, it is not the love of attraction. It is not the love of personal preference. In other words, the church, the joyful church, behaves herself in this way. It does not give love to only those people that have earned it or otherwise deserve it. For certainly if that was the case, none of us would ever give or receive love. The joyful church does not say, I love you because you deserve it. The joyful church does not say, I love you because you, I am attracted to you. The joyful church does not say, I love you because you have done this for me. The joyful church, listen folks, the joyful church says, I love you even though you don't deserve it, but I love you because I just choose to love you. The love, folks, that we are to have one for another is a love of choice. It's a love of the will. It's not that the object of our love deserves it. Because many of us in our lives don't deserve love, do we? Can I get an amen somebody? Many of us don't deserve love. But listen, we love each other with the agape love because it's a love of choice. I don't love you because you're worthy. I love you because I choose to. And that's what Paul calls on here. And the church, the joyful church, Paul says, has this type of love for everybody in the body. And so you see how the attitude of the joyful church works being, how the church joyful attitude of being beneficial works here. Because the joyful church has the attitude, as we looked at last time, of being uh, beneficial and benevolent. The joyful church has the attitude of giving love to, to those who do not necessarily deserve it. Because we, if you remember that last sermon, because we received love when we did not deserve it. And because that is our attitude, the action follows. Because I received love when I didn't deserve it. And because I am filled with love. And because I have the attitude of love, then what's my action? I love you just because I choose to. I just choose to. You see, folks, attitude does in fact determine action. Because you have the attitude of love, you can give love indiscriminately just because it's a love of choice. This is, church, the love of intent. It's an intentional, it's a conscious choice to look at the person who is the object of your love, who doesn't necessarily deserve that love, but is to look at that person who is the object of your love and with a conscious decision, an intentional decision, I love you just because I choose to love you. I don't even love you just because I'm commanded to. I mean, that's not really saying a whole lot either. Well, I love you, but only because Jesus told me to. 
Woohoo, thanks. It's like somebody gave me a bag of tomatoes some years ago and said, you know what, these are just, right now, these are just going to rot if they stay in my garden. I might as well give them to you. Oh, gee, thanks. So you think about me on the level of a rotten tomato. Oh, yeah, by the way, half of them were already rotted. But the, joy, but the joyful church and the joyful Christian doesn't say, I love you because God commands me to. No, the joyful Christian says, I love you because I choose to. How many of you wives in here, I want to ask you uh, rugged men, but I'll ask you lovely ladies, how many of you women in here, just this week or last week or last month or last year, whenever, you loved your husband just because you chose to? Keep your hand down. You see, you see men, they're afraid to raise their hands. Well, pastor, I don't think that's the biblical answer. No, that's exactly what Paul says. Sometimes you love your husbands and wives just because I just, they're not lovable. You just choose to do it. But see, that's the same love that we're to have for one another. And that is the joyful church because many of us don't deserve it. And I'll say this, the most miserable person in the church is the person that refuses to love. He just, they just refuse to love people. And that's the most miserable person in the church. The joyful church's actions are that they, from a, from a conscious will, a conscious choice, chooses to love everybody the same. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or necessary, because that, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity or love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Paul praised this church because the agape, the love of the choice, the love of the will, abounded toward each other. We understand, folks, that from previous studies, that love for other believers is a clear mark of true Christianity, right? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, the apostle says, We know that we have passed from death unto life. How? Because we what? Because we have that agape, because we have that love of the choice, a love of the will, love of choice for each other. And folks, listen, true love is not just a matter of sentimentality, but it is a sacrificial service. In first John, first John chapter three, verse 17, but whoso has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I want you to remember this, that this type of love begins in the mind. And both of those things reveal itself in the believers. Look at verse two again. Okay, so Paul says, this is how you're going to complete my joy. That you think like Christ, that you, with a conscious will of choice, choose to love each other. There's absolutely no way that you could ever prove to me from the Word of God that there's ever an excuse for Christians to be ugly with each other inside the church, or outside the church for that matter. You'll never convince me that the Word of God ever gives, you, ever gives permission to do that. So Paul says, this is how you're going to fulfill my joy. That you think like Christ. That's where it starts. Attitude determines action. Outlook determines outcome. That's where it starts. In the mind. Having the same love. Now notice what he says. Being of one accord of one mind. And one mind is a Greek word that literally means one-souled. Listen, to be one-souled, that is the product of the love of choice. And that is to live in selfless harmony with your fellow believers. We're not separate people, folks. We are of the same body. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And Paul in Corinthians, he likens the body of Christ to a human body. And Paul says, listen, just like the human body is one, the church, the body of Christ is one. And when one part of your human body hurts, the rest of your body hurts. 
And listen, in the same way, we love each other to such a degree and we are so one-souled that when one person in, the, in this body hurts, the entire church hurts. Listen, when somebody sends out a prayer request that they need prayer, our hearts are immediately going to concern. Because we're the same body. And if we think like Christ thinks, and if we love like Christ loves, then we will be of one accord and we will truly be one-souled. We will truly see ourselves as a unity. And by its very definition, this excludes personal ambition, selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, and every other thing that are the fruits of self-love. And when the church of Jesus Christ is one soul, it has unity, which is the culmination of the joyful church. Just like our love for one another is based on a willful choice, our unity is based upon, grounded in the objective truth of God's Word. As the church is believing, having and thinking like Christ, there is joy. And as the church is behaving, loving equally by the will of choice, there will be unity and there will be a singularity of purpose. And the people that are not intent on this will not be joyful. So the joyful Christians' acts are that they are believing. They are behaving. Then number three, the joyful church's base. Notice the progression of thought here. The joyful church thinks with the mind of Christ. And when the joyful church thinks with the mind of Christ... Then we are able to love one another by the will of choice equally. And this is the kind of love that is not discriminate. It is a love of choice, it is a love of will, of the will based on thinking like Christ. And that, folks, brings humility as we think like Christ and as we love like Christ, which is why I use the word base, but base doesn't, but humility doesn't begin with B. But I'm speaking about humility. It's a synonym. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Stop right there. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Listen, church, literally do nothing out of selfishness. Strife here does not mean arguing. It does not mean fighting. It means, it talks about selfish ambition. In other words, the joyful church is a church full of people that are not driven by the strong personal desire to be seen and to be successful. The joyful church is not a church that seeks a name for herself. The joyful church is a church that is driven by one strong, unique desire, and that is the glory of God. And as the Greek word changed in its uses throughout the years, it became, it became known to speak of a person who persistently seeks personal advancement regardless of how it affects others. It carries the idea, literally in the language, of building yourself up while you're tearing somebody else down. That has no place in God's family. Tearing others down to elevate yourself has no place in the family of God. It's like the idea of gambling. One person gains because of another person's loss. And that's the idea of Paul. But the joyful church doesn't do that. Because they think like Christ and they love like Christ. And when you think like Christ and you love like Christ, then you'll never do anything out of selfish ambition. You'll never have the idea of building yourself up. In fact, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, you see that word hatred there, or I'm sorry, the word struck. The word stripe, it's the same Greek word in our text. And so Paul says that, listen, doing things through selfish ambition is not a fruit of the Spirit, it's a fruit of the flesh. It's a fruit of the flesh. Because selfishness, folks, is a consuming and destructive sin. And like all sins, it begins in the heart. So even if there is no opportunity really to manifest 
the attitude on the outside, that still can breed in the heart. And as it breeds in the heart, it produces anger. It produces resentment. And it produces jealousy. And no church, I don't care how doctrinally pure it is, I don't care how spiritually mature it is, no church is immune from the threat of this sin. There can always get in any church a root of bitterness in there that can cause people to start to do things for the praise of men through selfish ambition. And nothing, folks, nothing will more quickly divide and weaken a church than selfishness. It seems from the New Testament that no church had a greater problem with this than the church at Corinth. And Paul says in verse chapter 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Why were there contentions among the Corinthian church? Verse 10, because they didn't think the same way. They didn't think like Christ. There were various factions, and they followed different leaders. And it's not that the leaders that they followed were not godly. They were Paul. They were Apollos. They were Cephas, if you remember our Sunday night studies. So they were godly men. But the idea here is, is that these men divided themselves into factions, not to, not to glorify Christ, but to elevate their selves. Because each person that are involved in factions, each person in the church that are involved in divisions are only self-seeking. They're only interested in uplifting themselves. I've seen it. You've seen it. When people cause trouble in business meetings, it's to elevate themselves, not Christ. We've all seen it. And it has no place in the church of Jesus Christ for people to elevate themselves through selfish ambition. And then Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I, brethren, talking about this church that was split because of silly things, he says, I cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? I couldn't speak to you like you were spiritual people. I'd speak to you because like you were fleshy. You're carnal. I'd speak to you like you were a babe in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you able to bear it now. Why? For ye are fleshly. You're carnal. Listen, folks, selfish ambition and selfishness and the desire to elevate yourself in the church is carnal. It's carnal. It's a fruit of the flesh, not a fruit of the spirit. And it poisons the church. And it brings the church down hypocritically assuming to serve God while actually serving yourself was a mark of the Pharisees and the scribes. And discord and division are inevitable when people focus on their own agenda to the exclusion of others in the church. That's why James says in James chapter 3, verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and what? Every evil work. But not only does Paul say in verse 3, strife, but look what he says in verse 3 again, vain glory. Vain glory there is a, is a compound Greek word, kenodoxia, and it literally means empty glory. So strife is selfish ambition. Vain glory is empty conceit. The former refers to personal accomplishments. The, ra the rather refers to an overinflated self-image. Why do people try to boast themselves up? Why do people try to lift their own selves up? Why do people in the church try to make a name for themselves? Why do people in the church try to get their name in lights, as the, as the saying goes? Because they really think of something. They really have an overinflated idea of their own ego. They really think a lot about themselves. And that's what Paul means when he says vainglory. Let nothing be done through selfish, because of selfish ambition, and let nothing be done because you think so much of yourself. Well, I'm going to get up and sing again because I do such a good job. Well, I hope the pastor calls on me to pray to close today because I pray real nice. You know, people have always come up to me and told me how well I prayed. Boy, I hope I'm able to. You are in no position to pray. Because you've got selfish ambition and you've got vainglory. And Paul says, don't do anything because of those two things. 
You know, the ancient Greeks did not admire humility. If you do any study of ancient Greek uh, culture, they didn't admire humility. But even they believed that a person's view of himself could be exaggerated, uh, to be presumptuous and contemptible. And they had a word that they used, and actually it's still a word that's used in our English word to, in our English way, language today. You probably haven't used it in a long time, but the word is hubris. Hubris. Paul used that in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, when he talked about those that were uh, despiteful. That's the Greek word hubris. Self-conceited. Self-absorbed. And that's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, For if a man think himself to be something... When he is nothing, which is all of us, not the something, but the nothing, he what? He deceives himself. The church must be on constant guard against promoting ourselves. But how do we to do things? Look at what he says in, that, in verse 3 again. But in lowliness of mind. The joyful church is a, is a church that is humble in mind. And humility, folks, is the bedrock of the character of a Christian. Bedrock because I say you can't even be saved unless humility is present. That's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, in the very first one in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that see their sinful condition before God. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that are humble. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that attitude continues with the joyful church. And humility needs to be the dominant character of a Christian. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, When pride cometh, then cometh what? Shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. In James chapter 4, verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the what? Humble. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 19, Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And pride is the number one abominable sin that God hates. In Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16, uh, how much better is it to get wisdom? Well, that's not the right verse. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 uh, talks about the fact that there are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are abomination unto him. And the very first one is a proud look. In Psalm chapter 138, verse 6, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the what? But to the proud he knoweth afar off. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And then Paul says at the end of verse 3, Let each esteem other better than themselves as we think like christ and as we love like christ then we have the humility of christ where we don't do things through selfish ambition we don't do things to promote ourselves we do things with others in mind so that we would esteem others better than themselves now i want you to understand real quick the word esteem a gale mind in the greek and it's much more than just having an opinion when Paul says esteem, which can literally be translated regard, when Paul says esteem, he's not talking about uh, pretending that someone is more important than you. He means that you actually believe that they're more important than you. Listen, the church, the person sitting next to you this morning in your pew, is you should think of that person not pretending that they're more important to you because that's what the preacher says, the Bible says, but you should really feel like that they're more important to you because the joyful church is humble. It is not interested in selfish ambition. It is not interested in promoting itself. It is only interested in the needs of others. And that's why he says in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of who? Others. When the church believes with the mind of Christ, when the church behaves with the love of the will, the love of choice, when the church is base, when the church is humble and does not pursue selfish ambition, it does not pursue selfish glorification, but is true, but has true humility in mind. When the church truly believes that other people are more important than they are, when that happens, the church looks out for other people and does not spend so much time looking at themselves. And you look at the person sitting next to you. You look at the person out in the world and you say, they are more important than me. And that's a paradox in our, in our world. Because the paradox is that those people that have that kind of attitude really aren't the most joyful people. 
But God says, that's how, my, that's how our joy is fulfilled. Your joy is fulfilled, verse 2, by verse 4, thinking more about others than you do for yourself. How are we doing? How are we doing in our attitudes of joy? How are we doing in our attitude of being bold? How are we doing in our attitude of being loving? How are we doing in understanding this partnership that we have? How are we caring for the needs of others in the depths of our being and working to help meet those needs? How are we doing, church? How are we doing not only in our attitudes of joy, but how are we doing in our actions of joy? Do you think like Christ? How did Christ think? He emptied himself of his glory to take upon humanity. Do you think like Christ? Do you love like Christ? Are you humble like Christ? Those are the attitudes and those are the actions of the joyful church. How are you doing? Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.